We're gonna do it a little differently today. We've done it this way before, but we're doing it differently today, not to be different, but because I don't wanna have to crutch out here on stage after music and all that type of stuff. So we're starting with the text. We will transition. I'll have, I'll have the music team come up after I'm done. They'll pray so I can get off the stage while y'all are praying and your eyes are closed. And then we'll worship the Lord together. And so we got two songs at the end today. We are now to the good news though. So we've been in a whole lot of bad news. We're sinners. We have no hope outside of Christ. There's nothing going on. And then we ended last semester in Romans chapter seven. I'm gonna say this a couple of times because you gotta get this through your head. Romans chapter seven, I, me, and my, depending on your translation, 30 something times. Romans chapter seven is the I, the me, and the my chapter. Romans chapter eight is the chapter of the spirit. So there's the transition. If you're looking for where, where do I start living a victorious Christian life? Where do I start actually enjoying and flourishing in the Christian life? It's the transition of turning the page from the I, the me, and the my to life in the spirit, the power of the spirit, focused on the spirit. So you're gonna hear that over and over and over again today as we transition from I, me, and my devastation, destruction, depression, no hope. We are absolutely doomed because we are sinners and we have a sin nature we can't overcome to all of a sudden, wait a second, there's hope. And that hope is the Christian life in the spirit. It's still a battle, it's still hard, but there's hope. All right, y'all ready to roll? Romans chapter eight. All right, so I tried to think of what will get my main idea across. So I'm gonna give you the main idea, I'll come back to it, they'll throw the slides up later. But main idea is set your mind on the spirit and flourish. Set your mind on the spirit and flourish. So what could I do that we've heard over and over and over and over again that's really hard, that we don't always do, that would get it through our minds what I'm trying to say to you when I say set your mind on the spirit. And the thing that came to me was keep your eye on the ball. How many of you have played sports? How many of you have been told, keep your eye on the ball? So here's baseball. If you don't keep your eye on the ball, you're not hitting the baseball. Well, unless it's like T-ball or something maybe, but you're not, you're not hitting the baseball. If you play golf, like when I, when I started learning how to play golf, I would always want to pick my head up to see where the ball is going. Well, when you pick your head up to see just how far you smacked that ball, you don't hit that ball very far because you usually top it and it just trickles down in the front and it's really embarrassing. And so you keep your eye on the ball. When we say keep your eye on the ball, it's real easy to not do that. And so somebody tells you keep your eye on the ball and you do it that next swing, that next hit, that next golf swing, whatever it may be, your, your eye's on the ball. And then three or four times down the road, what do you do again? I take my eye off the ball. Like this is the repetition of the Christian life when I say to you, set your mind on the things of the spirit. Maybe in the back of your mind, every time you hear or say, Keep your eye on the ball. You'll think in the Christian life, set my mind on the spirit. That's what I have to do. And this is not just a daily decision. This is a moment by moment decision. We can start off a day really well with our mind set on the spirit and we can get shipwrecked. And in the middle of the day, we blow it. I'm gonna give you an example of that later. We blow it. And when we blow it, we have to think to ourselves, ah, you know what? My mind was focused on the flesh in that moment, not on the spirit, and that's why I blew it, and that's the problem. So, first off, we need to make sure we read our text. Well, I'm gonna need to give you the outline first. So, your main idea, obviously, is gonna be set your mind on the spirit and flourish. We've talked about that. That's important. Colossians 3.2 also says, set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
So that set your mind on things above, set your mind on the spirit. We'll try to clarify what that means versus setting your mind on the flesh, the things that are of the earth, the things that are below. Your outline for this, it's gonna be really simple because I chunked a big passage together to make it simple. We have freedom in chapter eight. We have freedom from condemnation in one through four. We have freedom to flourish in five through 17. The spirit grants us great freedom. We're not in slavery to sin anymore. We have the spirit. We can overcome sinful temptations in our life. So if you're here this morning, you're constantly struggling with a sinful temptation and you think there's no hope. I'm here to tell you there's hope. There is hope that by the power of the spirit, you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. So we transition from the I, the me, and the my, because if I'm focused on my own self, Romans 7, desperate man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death to now the spirit. So let me read for us the first four verses as we look at our first point, freedom from condemnation. I can't stay sitting down. I gotta stand up. All right, verse eight, chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm gonna read that again because that may be the best news of the whole book. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. You're free from the law of sin and death. For God has done with the law, not that the law is bad, but the law weakened by the flesh because we can't keep it. God's done what we couldn't do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, freedom from condemnation. We're gonna roll through this pretty quickly. We're gonna roll through it all fairly quickly because there's a lot here. Therefore, it harkens back to 7.6. The word spirit's mentioned in 7.6, not mentioned again in chapter seven. After that, it goes back and it pulls in the entire book. It's saying, here's the main idea. Here's what we're after. Here's what we're pushing for. Therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, that's the language of salvation. So if you are a believer and you are in Christ Jesus, you've repented of your sin, you put your faith and trust in God, then at that moment in time, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. Now, I wanna spend a moment here because there are some of you that are in this audience that you probably need to feel a little more guilty for your sin than you do because you're not struggling hard enough to put it to death. And so I'm not talking to you right now. All right, if you just are like the rebellious type person and you need to, you need to feel guilty for your sin, I'm not talking to you. We have a bunch of people in here that I, I genuinely believe your heart's desire is to follow God. You grew up in good Christian homes and you, for some reason, feel incredibly guilty about your past and you've done something and maybe it's really bad, I don't know. Maybe it's not, you just think it's bad, but in the grand scheme of bad things you could do on this life, it's really not that bad, but maybe it is, I don't know and you feel guilty about it. This text is telling you there is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So track with me here. Follow my logic. If there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus and you continuously feel bad about a sin that you have been forgiven for in your past so that the devil uses this sin to keep you from flourishing for Christ and experiencing the joy of the spirit and doing great things for him because you say, I can't because you don't know what I've done. You are trying to add your work of guilt to what Christ has already accomplished on the cross. If you are already free, if you go to the judge of all the world, God, the universe, 
And he says to you, there's no condemnation. You're forgiven. And you say, no, 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 that can't be that easy. I'm gonna keep feeling guilty for everything I've ever done rather than accepting the forgiveness and the love and living my life in a way that is free because the devil's gonna keep telling you this lie. You can't be used by God. You need to be miserable. You are such a bad person. You are horrible. There's absolutely something wrong with you that God can never love you and God can never use you. That's a lie of the devil. Because what the text says to us now is if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You're forgiven. You're forgiven and you're alive. And so get the lies of the devil out of your head that are gonna tell you you could never do anything good for the Lord because of what you've done in your past. And listen to what the text says to us. There is no condemnation. You're forgiven. You're free. You can now, by the power of the Spirit, do things that are gonna last for all eternity in Christ's name by the power of his Spirit. That should be freeing to all of us today. We are free from condemnation. Continues on here. And it says, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Aren't we glad about that? For God's done with the law, weakened by our flesh, our sinful nature, could not do. He sent his own son, notice what it says here, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why does it say in the likeness of sinful flesh? This harkens back to Philippians 2 language as well. And what, what I think Paul's trying to communicate here is that Christ was every bit like us, except he didn't have that sinful flesh, that sinful nature. He didn't sin. He was like us in every way, except he was sinless. He was perfect. And so the language here gives us a clue into that piece of theological understanding. It's in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Why did Christ come? He came because he came to die on the cross in my place and for my sake so that I could be forgiven of my sin and the same for you. And so that's why he came. He came and he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement would be met so that we could walk not in the flesh, but according to the spirit. Notice flesh and spirit. This is gonna come up over and over again. And we're gonna see this when we come to our second point, the freedom to flourish. So freedom to flourish, we move to verse five. When we look at verse five and our second point, we start seeing this contrast of living, setting our minds, flesh and the spirit. So look at what it says here. Let's just walk through it and look at it. In verse five, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Notice the contrast. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, here's an interesting thing about this chapter. It has no commands in it. So when I'm reading this chapter, I'm used to Paul giving me command after command after command after command. Don't do, don't do, don't do, 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 do. Instead, he's telling us this is the reality of your life if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, the Spirit lives in you and your mind's supposed to be set on the things of the Spirit. If you're not in Christ, well, then you can't set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's gonna be set on the things of the flesh. You're not even gonna be able to please God. So this is a condition. So what I'm saying to you this morning is if you are saved, you have the Spirit within you, work out what God has already worked in you. It's not a matter of how obedient you are to Christ. It's a matter of how much you are in Christ. And you can only be in Adam or in Christ. So if you are saved, work out that salvation that's already in you. For you live um, in the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Look what it says in verse six. For to set your minds on the flesh is what? It's death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life 
and peace. I have no peace in my life. Is your mind set on the spirit? If your mind is set on the spirit, it brings life and it brings peace. And this is one of the great conundrums. Sometimes people think I'm gonna live and do anything I want to because your mind's set on the flesh and that brings death. But to actually set your mind on the spirit and die to yourself to live for Christ is actually what brings life. And this is what we have to get through our heads. And so we can't set our minds on the flesh. It's death, verse seven. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Now, this is hard, but read what the text says. If your mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's one reason I see a difference in chapter seven and chapter eight. Chapter seven, I think, is to believers who are struggling to live the Christian life because they're doing it in I, me, and my. You're trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is the American way, right? This is the rugged individualism. If you can't do it, work harder. Do all these things in and of yourself. This is where we pile the 10 commandments on top of us after we're saved and we begin to do a works-based sanctification rather than relying on the power of the Spirit because I think what Paul's talking about here now is life in the Spirit. I don't think it's talking about somebody that was unsaved in chapter seven because I think this is the unsaved person right here. The unsaved person is hostile to God. He doesn't submit to God. Indeed, he cannot submit to God. This doesn't sound like somebody who loves the law of the Lord. And it says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But I know people who are lost that do good things. They can't please God. That's what the text says. So maybe they do good things so that other people think good about them, which makes their motives twisted and turned so that they're not really doing good things to serve God or to serve others, but they're doing good things so people will think even better about them. Look at what it says in verse nine. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now you may come from a background that believes in a second blessing or that you receive the power of the spirit later in life or something of that nature. This text is telling us that if you don't have the spirit already dwelling in you, then you're not saved. You're not part of the believers. You, however, are not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you and anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. When you are saved at the moment of salvation is when the baptism of the spirit occurs. And when that baptism of the spirit occurs, the spirit comes to live within us. And even though we are messed up and even though we still have all the baggage that we're bringing with us, then we have the power of the spirit living in us so that we turn to chapter eight in our own lives. And by the power of the spirit, then we can start to overcome these temptations. We can start to do what's called sanctification, becoming more like Christ. So we set our minds in that way. Now, what does it mean to set your mind? Yeah, this is hard. Set your mind on the things of the spirit is what it says one time. Set your mind on the spirit is what it says another time. But when you set your mind to something, you are determined that you have to have it. This is my goal. This is what I'm pushing for. This is what I want. I'm gonna focus my mind on this and I'm gonna pursue this to the best of my ability. So you have your mind set on something in life. So on the count of three, I want you to shout out what it is you have your mind set on. I'll see if I can pick up one or two of them out of everybody shouting. All right, one, two, three. Y'all weren't loud enough. Let's try it one more time because the only one I heard I don't wanna talk about. All right, are, are y'all ready? One, two, three. 
the Smash Tournament. <laughs> graduation. I heard somebody say graduation. So if your mind's set on graduation, what do you have to do? Take the right classes. You have to take them all and pass them all and make the right grades. So what do I have to do to make the right grades? Do what's on the syllabus, pass the test, do the homework. It is a daily work in order to do this, in order to get to this point. Over the break, I was laid up because I had this leg. I couldn't do anything. I had to have it up above my heart for a certain amount of time and ice a certain amount of time. So you can't read a book. I can't anyway. Read a book laying on my back. So what did I do? I played Fortnite. So some of you hate that. That's okay. It's all right. I played Fortnite with Samuel. So it's spending time with my son. That'll justify it. Um, They have quests. It's real easy to get in a trap of a video game and say, I wanna meet that quest. And that's my personality. Give me a goal and then I wanna break that goal down or that vision down by different individual goals and then I wanna go meet that goal. And so I went from like a zero or a one or whatever you call it to now I'm ranked 75 in Fortnite and Christmas break. Like that tells you I spent a whole lot of time with my leg up in the air doing nothing that was really productive in life. But that's okay. Um, It was a season and it was a season of rest and it was good. And now I have my mindset on other things because we have a trustee meeting next week and I have a presentation I have to get ready. And so I'm working on that constantly. You have things you set your mind to. I'm gonna get better at golf. I'm gonna be able to hit those three pointers. I'm gonna make sure that I can beat a video game, whatever it is. I wanna be able to hit those notes or play that song perfectly and the hours the musicians put in to be able to hit all those notes, play all those tunes, to be able to do those things, that's the purpose that's driving. You set your mind on something. I'm gonna know more about football than anybody else in the world. So I'm watching all of this stuff, reading all these blogs about football. I can tell you all the players and who they are. My fantasy football team is gonna dominate in the name of Jesus because it's still a waste of time, people. I'm just saying, we get something in our minds and we're gonna do everything we can possibly do to be determined to reach that goal. Believer, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Get inside your mind that And in my lifetime, I am gonna pursue God with reckless abandon. I am gonna have a mind set on being more like Christ, on being more like the Spirit, on making sure that I'm pursuing the things of the Spirit. Now, if I'm pursuing the things of the Spirit, I'm not pursuing I, me, and my. Sin has a middle letter, what is it? That's really weak. Sin has a middle letter, what is it? There you go. I'm not after the I, I'm after God and others. The moment that the selfishness comes into my life, I'm in trouble because my mind is then set on me and on the flesh and on the world and on the things of this earth. And the moment that that selfishness kicks in or that pride, the moment I start thinking I'm worthy of something, I deserve something, I've got a problem as soon as that hits. And so here's your mindset. Your mindset has gotta be on others, on God, on serving the Spirit and doing what the Spirit wants us to do. So here's your question. If you were gone tomorrow, would anybody miss the things you do? Because if they're all about you, not very much. Yeah, your mom and dad would miss you, your brothers and sisters, there's a few people that love you. But would anybody really miss the things you're doing in life? Like seriously, ask yourself this question. What am I doing with my days and my hours and my stewardship so that if I'm not here, others are gonna say, oh, there's a gap that needs to be filled. They were doing this. I didn't know they were doing that. They never sought recognition for it. We need to pursue Christ in such a way 
that if we're not there, people start looking and going, wow, we gotta step up and fill that gap. Who's encouraging others? Who's serving others? Where's our focus not on us, but on other people? That's a mindset on the spirit. I gotta keep moving, even though we could do that. Now, here's where it's hard. Here's my example that I'm gonna give you because we're gonna look at Peter. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. I've got it on the screen. You don't have to turn to it. This is the chapter where they say, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him. Peter gets the gold star for the day. He's the one that wins the award. And he says, God revealed this to you, not flesh and blood. This is coming to you from heaven. This is not coming to you from the earth. And so Peter, you get the gold star for the day. Peter wins the award for that class session. And then Jesus foretells them, I'm gonna die. This is what has to happen. And then Peter, the star student, because he was so smart, then decides he's gonna educate Jesus more accurately in the ways of the Lord. And he says, that's not gonna happen. So he just got the question right. And what happens in the very next section of the scripture? Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Ooh, those are strong words. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Friends, it's very possible for us to have a moment that is so good for the Lord where we do it just right. We're thinking about God and others. And then all of a sudden we get prideful in the fact that we did so good in that moment that then we do absolutely something that's destructive or not in the ways of the Lord. Be careful after you have a really good day and you do something really positive because the devil's gonna be there to strike you with the pride to say, aren't you something special? And it's our reasonable service to the Lord. We gotta be careful here how we do this. We gotta make sure that we do this right. All right, we gotta go to the next part of the text. So we look at verse eight. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And then you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. You see the contrast. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if you have Christ is in you, then although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. You see the contrast there. Our bodies are gonna die. It's cursed by the sin, but the spirit gives us life. You wanna live? Set your mind on the spirit. You wanna experience freedom? Set your mind on the spirit. You wanna experience peace? Set your mind on the spirit, on the things of the spirit. So how do we do this? No Bible, no breakfast. Prayer time where we're talking to God, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture, read a theological book and not because it's an assignment for class. Listen to a sermon. Yeah, I have to listen to five sermons every day and the weekday and then y'all want us to go to church on Sunday and listen to more sermons and yeah, I still listen to sermons. If you don't know who to listen to, you can ask me for a list, but we'll start with Alistair Beck. I love to hear him preach. Listen to sermons. Get stuff through your mind. Listen to the scripture. Listen to the text. I use the ESV with Max McLeon because he has a British accent. And I think everybody who has a British accent is smarter than everybody who has a redneck accent. And so I listen to them because it keeps my attention. Listen to it. Make sure that you're doing this thing in the right way. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. I'm gonna spend the rest of my time on 12 through 17. So we're jumping to that. So then, brothers, we are not debtors to the flesh. You know what that means? We don't owe the flesh anything. I am not a debtor to my flesh to give in to sin. I have nothing that I owe my flesh. 
I'm not a debtor to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Are you getting this? Do you see how many times he's written this over and over and over again? If you live according to the flesh, bad news for you. If you live according to the spirit, good news for you. So when life's really messed up and you're like, how did I get in the spot? Ask yourself the question, am I living to the flesh or have I been living to the spirit? If you've been living to the flesh, that's why you're there. What do you do? You make the daily decision, I'm gonna live for the spirit. I'm gonna transition and make sure I'm keeping my mindset on the spirit. Here's the, here's the one, I'm gonna spend a little bit here. But if by the spirit, notice what it says, by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. Okay, so let's break this down. I'm in my Romans 7, results in wretched men that I am who will rescue me from this body of death. By the power of the Spirit, you, you have a part. You get to make the decision whether you set your mind on the things of the Spirit or the things of the flesh. If by the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. Now, this is a harsh word. You're gonna put them to death. Friends, this means you cannot make peace with your sin. You cannot tolerate your sin. It's not a bad sin. You cannot tolerate your sin. By the power of the Spirit, put it to death. Set your mind not on the things of the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit. But there's no condemnation in Christ, so shouldn't we sin more so that grace may abound? May it never be. No. By the power of the Spirit, we're gonna put to death those things. The pride in our lives we should hate. We don't make excuses for it. Yeah, but you don't understand. I have this and this and this and that. Yeah, 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 I don't care about all that mess. By the power of the Spirit, put it to death. But I'm gonna make excuses for the way I behave because I'm rude to others. There's no excuse for being rude to others. Put it to death. But you don't understand. I, I like to gossip. And when I gossip, I'm popular and people like me. And that. Put it to death. Your ways are leading you to death and destroying you. So by the power of the Spirit, you, I can't do it for you. You, with the Spirit's power, put it to death. You know what your sins are. You know the things that you like to do. You know the sins you love more than you love God. Those are the very things that you need to have in your mind by the power of the Spirit. I'm putting this to death. I'm going to war against it. I'm not making peace with it. I'm not gonna let it have victory over me. I'm not gonna give in to it. I'm putting it to death. Flashback to Romans 6. I've got it for you on the screen. Romans 6, verse 11. We flash back to it. It says, so you consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let sin reign in your mortal bodies no more to make you obey his passions. No, 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 we're not gonna do that. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God. This is the mindset on the spirit. As those who have been brought from death to life, you see the repetition here. And they read this book all at once in their minds when they hit Romans 8. They're thinking Romans 6. Oh yeah, you're repeating this because it's important. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. There you go. All right, I gotta move on. We could spend more time there, but we don't have time to spend there, so we can't. All right, put it to death and you will live. Verse 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Are you led by the spirit? This is passive, it's not a command. If the Spirit lives within you and you are a believer, you should be led by the Spirit. 
This is not some goofy thing where you're waking up, going to a Ouija board to see what the Spirit tells you to do, or you're used to force Luke and you're trying to figure out all this type of stuff. This is the things of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, patience, all of them. We're pursuing these things. In verse 15, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So I had to stop for a moment on this. Because Paul frequently says that he is a slave to Christ. He is a doulos. He is someone who serves Christ. And yet here in this text, he's saying to us, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, in the biblical sense of the word, don't misunderstand me. In the biblical sense of Paul's use of the word slavery, what's so bad about being a slave to Christ? But slaves have a perception of their master that is based in fear. And so what he's saying here is, you didn't receive a spirit of fear. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You don't have to fear God and his judgment and his condemnation because we go back to verse one, there's no condemnation in Christ. But he's saying, you didn't get that spirit. So if you're in here right now and you are fearful of talking to God, you're missing it. Because God is not the master looking for a reason to squash you. He is not playing games looking to snuff you out. It says to us here that we have received a spirit of adoption as sons. And don't misunderstand this either. The sons, daughters had a relationship. Sons had a relationship and an inheritance. He's going to the inheritance. So he says sons here, including all men and all women, that we are adopted into the family of God and we're gonna receive an inheritance. We're heirs, we're joint heirs with Christ, but we have been adopted. And it doesn't just say we've been adopted. It says we've been adopted so that whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out in a term of affection, Father. And this is what Jesus prays when he's in the garden of Gethsemane. It's an Aramaic word. He prays out, Father. He prays out, God, my loving Father, my daddy, some have put it. I don't know if that's a good way to put it or not, but here's what I wanna point out to you. Here's the deal that you gotta get in your minds. When we are forgiven and no condemnation in Christ, it's not the judge. The judge in the courtroom forgives me. I never see the judge again. It's not the judge. This is not somebody that I might know, but I don't really interact with. This, this is not the governor. The governor says, I forgive you. I could text him. I've got a cell number. I don't spend time with him. I don't talk to him very frequently. I don't know him. This is not somebody of that genre. This is not your teacher. Your teacher says, I forgive you. In fact, you get an A in this class. And then you go and you live life. You may keep in touch. You may come back and see them. But this is not that relationship. Friends, this is what the text is telling you. You have a relationship so that you do not fall into a spirit of fear, but you get to have the relationship and an inheritance from God of the universe that you can call him daddy. You can call him dad. My son aggravates me. He's not here so I can pick on him. He likes to call me different things. Jerry, because Jerry's my first name. Jerry, yeah, whatever. He likes to call me Dr. White. I'm like, dude, knock it off. I don't like titles. He, he likes to call me in front of others. He'll do it too. Just because he knows it pushes my buttons. Yeah, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah. He knows. And I know. You know the best thing my son could ever call me? It's dad. That's it. I 
die for him tomorrow or today. It's dad. There's no greater name he could call me than dad. And the text is saying to us, the God we rebelled against, I get to call him dad. So calmer right here. Let me get my composure. Call your dad. Because some of you haven't called home since like, you know, you got here. So call mom and dad. But call him dad. Most of you have really good dads and they love you and they care for you. And if you don't, don't project that upon the God of the universe. Because the God of the universe loves you so much that you get to call him dad. All right, my time's up. I gotta finish here. Adoption as sons. If this relationship hasn't struck you, you need to do some deeper thinking. We get to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. All right, so you, Christian room, I was saved at three, not me. Some of you tell me this. I don't remember a time when I was bad. That's fine. You live life, you don't remember when you were born, but you know you're alive because you breathe, right? You're here, you're breathing, you're alive. You don't remember when you were born. Some of you may not remember that moment. Some of us do. Some of you may not, but the Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are in Christ. If you're concerned about your sin, it's a good sign. If you're concerned about whether I'm really saved or not, it's a good sign. But the Spirit testifies within you because you have that Spirit. We're children of God and children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him. We'll come to that next time. That ties into where he's headed next at the end of this chapter. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. I'll give you these and then I'm gonna sit down. All right, application slide, throw it up there. In what areas of life do you have your mindset on the things of the spirit or on the things of the flesh? You know it. Where do you have your mindset on the flesh? I'm pursuing something that may not be godly, right, or good. What steps can you take to set your mind on the things of the spirit? It says a daily, actually it's momentary, battle. So what can you do to remind yourself, I need to be focused on the spirit? There's a great quote here. I skipped right by it in my notes. But there's a great quote here from John Owen. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. By the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you.